0: Bottom, 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 Preaching our show today is the quintessential shark movie, the grand pooba of marine horror thrillers and one of Hollywood's favorite success stories. What lies beneath the surface of this classic film? Today we look into the toothy maw of the universe and ask the question: Jaws, what's it about? I'm Ricardo Boyd Diaz. I'm Seth Crow.
1: I'm Megan
0: Branham, and this is the What's It About Film Podcast show, where we try to glean the meaning of it all through the media we consume, holding a mirror up to ourselves and seeing how it reflects in our own lives. How are we doing today, friends? Megan, Seth.
1: Good.
0: Great. Doing good and great. I'm doing all right. Guys, I got some exciting news last night. What's that? I booked a, a day player role in a feature film. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'll be flying to Flagstaff next week. To do one day shoot.
2: That's awesome, man.
0: It. Yeah, it I'm so excited. Cool. Uh, it's really, really cool. So I've been like getting emails from like the whole production team last night and this morning of like, we need your measurements, we need this, we need that, we need a range of travel, and and it's just been like a whirlwind of a morning. But it's been very cool news, very cool news. I'm excited. What's, can you tell me about?
2: Can you say anything about the movie? Or
0: I will say that it's like a survival thriller. My part's okay. very small. I'm just like in the very beginning, just like as like a you know a one scene kind of thing. But you know, with a, I'm looking at this as a, a really great networking opportunity with new people, uh, uh, you know, new director, new actors, people I haven't worked with before. I get to go to Flagstaff. I've never been to Flagstaff, so
2: where's Flagstaff?
0: It's like that- it's in Arizona.
2: Arizona. Okay. I
1: love Arizona.
0: You love Arizona.
1: So pretty, please take pictures.
0: <laughs> okay. I don't know how much time I'll have to take pictures because I want oh. to be there for like a day.
1: That's or two. so many moments to take pictures, Ricky.
0: <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> uh, on you whole that's time. fair. I've I've been to Arizona by just like driving. I've driven through Arizona. I've never I'm and I've been in the Phoenix Airport. That's about it.
1: Beautiful. I've heard that it really depends on which part you're in, because when I went, I was in I think we drove through we, – we really were just in Sedona, which I've heard is kind of the the peak of Arizona. I've heard, like, less positive things about other spots there, mm-hmm. but I'm curious about Flagstaff.
0: Yeah, Sedona is, like – I mean, anywhere the Grand Canyon's at in, in Arizona is apparently, like, gorgeous, so. Yeah. And this, this, this movie takes place – a lot of it takes place in the Grand Canyon, so I think Flagstaff is supposed to be kind of – I weird, thought you meant so.
1: Jaws for a second, and I was no. like
2: mm-hmm.
1: – no, the movie I'm going to be in.
0: So
2: the, movie, <laughs> the movie he's in, there's a shark in the Grand Canyon.
1: Oh my god, I would watch that. You know speaking absolutely.
0: of a shark a shark movie that I was almost in. Um you know um Tommy Wiseau, director of the, of The Room. Hi Mark. Yeah, oh hi Mark. He he last year he was directing a a shark movie called Big Shark uh, that I auditioned for <laughs> and didn't nice. and didn't get cast. <laughs> <laughs> so look forward for, for Big Shark Maybe we'll do that in the future Bye Mark Bye Mark <laughs> uh, But anyway we're not here to talk about that shark movie We're here to talk about Jaws Yes we're talking about the 1975 Horror thriller classic Jaws directed by your You know everybody's favorite Steven Spielberg um, So uh, Seth and Megan What is your history with Jaws uh, Is this your first time seeing it Have you seen it before Yeah um, yeah, what's your personal history with this movie?
1: Check. I'll go first. Yeah, you go first. Um, again. <laughs> I uh hadn't I didn't grow up watching Jaws. My best friend growing up, by like movie soulmate, she her family watched it all the time. It was like one of her favorites. But um it just never was we never watched it in my house, which is strange because my mom is a big movie person and she loves this movie. Hmm. But I think she knew. I think Seth I told you this. Um I Grew up near the beach. We went to the beach all the time. I love the ocean. I still do. And I'm, I was also a very anxious child. So I think my mother purposely didn't show me this movie. Because she was like, I don't want to take that from her. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't see it until I was like 20. Um, and that was the first and only time I saw it. And then I saw it again just now. Awesome. What are what
0: are your just like... Do you like it?
1: Do I? Yeah, I like it. I get why it's like... It's very... It's like iconic. So watching it, it felt like I was watching something very familiar, mm-hmm. even though I had only seen it once before. So I did like it a lot. Yeah. Awesome. What about you, Seth? What's
0: your history with
2: Jaws? Uh, this is so Jaws is the first horror movie I ever saw. So mm. uh, I was pretty young. I was like nine, maybe. And my mom, we were. My mom made me watch Jaws. My mom has a strange your mom made you watch shows? She didn't make me but like she let me you know like, was it like
0: a, a a clockwork orange situation where she' like had you strapped to a chair and had the things in your eyes
2: well it's like she my my mother my mother exposed me to a lot of really like like some media that maybe she shouldn't have when I was younger mm-hmm. I mean I I am thankful she did like she didn't uh She didn't censor me wanting to see things. Mm -hmm. Some things that they did, but there were certain there were certain things like this, The Exorcist, uh, like certain. Like I read, I read Catcher in the Rye when I was like ten years old. Oh, this explains so much about you. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So in some way, so like Jaws, I saw Jaws way too young and mm-hmm. uh and it 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 fucked me up i i was terrified of the ocean uh and i so much so that i did research projects in the fourth grade on sharks uh because i needed to know all the different sharks so i could protect myself um yeah i, I yeah. still know too much about sharks i know a lot about sharks
0: Wow, I love I love shark hey, Bring You better bust out some shark trivia. I expect a shark Pokemon fact somewhere in here. So if you don't have that loaded up and ready,
2: all right, all right,
0: I will be disappointed. <laughs> but, uh, my personal history with shark is uh, shark is uh, my personal history with Jaws is um, I was also like kind of like Megan. I actually uh, I actually didn't see it until I was like in college, um, when I became much more of like a film buff. Uh, and started like going back and watching old movies. Um, a lot of my like introduction to movies was like watching stuff with my uncle, who's also a huge film buff. Uh, and so he introduced me to a lot of things like Blair, Witch, was first time I watched that was with him. Uh, uh the exorcist was, that's another one I watched with him for the first time. So he was, would introduce me, uh, Monty Python and the Holy grail. He introduced me to a lot of awesome older films for me uh being a 90s kid just didn't have a lot of knowledge of like the 70s and 80s films that were all classics he brought those to me and uh but Jaws was not one of them oddly enough so i didn't see it until i was in my tw- my 20s you know in college at some point and yeah it's i think it still holds up to this day it's a really really well made movie and knowing you know as we'll get into a little bit later knowing some of the uh uh, production troubles of this film makes it even that much more impressive that it is so coherently and well told, considering that it's not how they planned on telling it <laughs> originally. Um, but uh, great, fantastic movie and a lot of rich themes to explore in it, which we're going to be doing once we talk about how this film came to be. So a little bit about the history of this film. So this film was directed by Steven Spielberg. We all know Steven Spielberg. Uh, the director of Firelight, The Duel, The Sugarland Express, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, 1941, Raiders of the Lost Ark, E.T., Extraterrestrial, Twilight Zone, The Movie, Indiana Jones at the Temple of Doom, The Color Purple, Empire of the Sun, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Always, Hook, Jurassic Park, Schindler's List, The Lost World, Jurassic Park, Amistad, Saving Private Ryan, A.I., Artificial Intelligence, Minority Report, Catch Me If You Can, The Terminal, War of the Worlds, Munich, Indiana Jones, and The Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, The Adventures of Tintin, War Horse, Lincoln, Bridges Flies, The BFG, The Post, Ready Player One, West Side Story, and this year's one of the uh, Oscar frontrunners, The Fablemans.
2: Could you, so those, could you repeat that? I missed, I missed.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. So he did Firelight, The Duel, Sugarland Express, Close <laughs> to of the Third. No, I'm just not going to do the whole thing again. You're funny. You're funny. <laughs> You're funny. Uh, and this film was written and, as two official uh, co-writers on it. Uh, Peter Benchley, who wrote the original novel for the film, uh, but also had a few of his other novels adapted into films, including The Deep, The Island, The Beast, Creature, and the TV series dolphin cove and amazon uh this film also had another writer on it who is carl gottlieb carl gottlieb was no more as an actor and a comedy television writer who worked on the smothers brothers comedy hour the music scene the bob newhart show all in the family and the odd couple so that's the players in play here uh but let's get into the story just a little bit so the story of jaws is a tale featuring a shark terrorizing a commercial lake community that first emerged as a novel written by Peter Benchley in the 70s. Before the novel was even published, film producer David Brown came across a description of the novel in the literature section of Cosmopolitan Magazine, which his wife, Helen Gurley Brown, was the editor of at the time. In the article, the book editor commented on the novel saying it might make a good movie. So Brown brought the novel to his Universal Studios producing partner, Richard D. Zanuck, And the two producers read the novel all in one night. And then they purchased the film rights to Benchley's novel in 1973. The producing duo found themselves treading water when it came to time to attach a director to the film. Originally, they wanted the Magnificent Seven slash The Great Escape director John Sturgis to direct, but ended up giving the job to future Heat director dick richards however richards and brown and zanuck didn't quite see eye to eye on the film and richards was dropped from the project leaving the door open for a young up-and-coming director named steven spielberg to toss his name into the ring sorry Seth. i thought you had a question you like raised your hand like you had a question Uh,
2: no i thought i thought megan had a question
0: sorry Sorry, i I heard a a
1: name i recognize but i'll talk about it later okay (laughs)
0: sorry i have my notes in front of me so i can't i'm not seeing my two co-hosts here (laughs) i just have my notes in front of my face i
1: made a very like animated face i didn't know that anyone saw it sorry
0: (laughs) no please stop me if you guys ever had something to say (laughs) because i literally and my notes are literally blocking your faces so i literally cannot see you okay i'm dressed
2: as steven spielberg today oh that's
0: what you're dressed as i seth seth i didn't uh i didn't see a difference (laughs) (laughs)
1: i thought you were just doing like a warm weather kind of like welcome to spring thing
2: well no i i just wanted to wear my glasses because because they're my because if if you have nice big glasses you should hunt sharks so i was
0: just gonna say that they all had the big
2: glasses so but then i realized that this is the hat i wear when i want to look like steven spielberg and then i i realized is that your stefanski hat it's the Steve Stefanski act. The Steve yeah. Stefanski. Yeah. We're off
0: track, but it's okay. Yeah.
2: It's okay. <laughs> All right, back into
0: it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Steven Spielberg tossed his hat, his name into the ring. However, as principal photography grew, grew closer, Spielberg found himself getting cold feet and tried to opt out of his deal with Universal. But Universal rejected that and said he is not allowed to leave. So I guess he'd just have to go make the movie or something. I don't know. The script went through several rounds of rewrites. The first three drafts were done by Benchley himself, but he admittedly didn't have the screenwriting experience to bring the characters to life for film. So Spielberg tried to get several other writers to do draft the script, but many people turned him down until The Odd Couple writer, Carl Gottlieb, came aboard, who was a personal friend of Spielberg's. At first, he was just brought on to do a comedic polish to add a little bit of levity to the f- script, but eventually he ended up doing an entire page one rewrite during during principal photography, writing scenes the night before they were shot. His work on set would earn him a full screenwriter's credit, and from here, many of you might be familiar with the journey. The shark was... Meant to be in the film more, but the animatronic didn't really react well to the water, so they had to kind of improvise and be creative with their filming techniques, which would eventually lead to one of Hollywood's most iconic films of all time. Jaws opened in theaters in the summer of 1975, and over the next few years, with international and re-releases, the film became a massive hit, grossing over $476 million on a $9 million budget and claiming the top spot for the highest grossing film of all time until it was surpassed by Star Wars two years later. On top of that, the film won three Oscars, one for Best Film Editing, one for Best Original Score, and one for Best Sound. And he's yet another film that we've talked about on this podcast that was selected for preservation by the National Film Registry and Library of Congress in two thousand. Yeah,
2: we did it. We picked We one. did
0: it. We got another one. We're going to get all of them eventually. It's going to take a long time because that's not the goal of the show. It's just kind of like a passive thing that's happening. (laughs) A rising tide raises all shifts as Spielberg would go on to be widely considered one of the best directors of all time. And Jaws to this day is held up as the golden standard for filmmaking and monster movies alike. That is the story of Jaws.
1: Woo! Woo! Yeah! What were you gonna say, Megan? I just this it, the reason I didn't like speak up is because it's not it's inconsequential. But Helen Gurley Brown, I just started to read uh, Sex and the Single Girl, which is a book by her, um, and I got some I have some beef with it. So oh, I just,
0: the beef. Where's I the beef? I just
1: got She she just says some weird stuff. She just says some crazy stuff.
0: Well, she's from, a- she's from
1: a Cosmo, so there's gonna be some. Some weird stuff.
0: That's true. Anyway,
1: I had, I had no idea that she had put any tie to this movie.
0: Mm-hmm. Big-time director Brown and Zanuck uh, at Universal in that era. Huge. Um, but uh different era. <laughs> um, when did she write this book? Was it written like a long ago, or is it like a newer book that she's
1: released? Oh, no. Sex and the Single Girl, I want to say, because they made a movie about it with Natalie Wood in it, so it's got to have been- Oh, that's old, yeah. It was originally published. Um It was published. The movie was 1964. Gotcha. The book was 1962.
0: Yeah. Old book. Yeah. It's interesting because Jaws, Jaws is like the Hollywood story, right? Like people talk about the production of Jaws and like, Oh, like Spielberg was a 26 year old young man only had done one, you know, one other feature film, major feature film in his career and took on this really difficult job. The shark didn't work, so they had to like not show it for most of the film and you know, all the like happy accidents and like kind of like weird confluence events that have made this film such an icon Is it's it strange?
2: So this is something I was trying to figure out. Like, is it the all all the shots of the shark are is, is it a real is there a fake? Is there ever used, a real shark?
0: Yes, they use some real okay. sharks. Uh, some of okay. the some they did some real sharks like B roll and stuff like that. But anytime like the shark is like out of the water, like you can see it. Like anytime you're seeing the shark from out of the water, it's a fake shark. Um, the real there were some real shark moments. Uh, you can kind of tell it's when the shark is moving much more fluidly.
2: What about um, like the the cage scene?
0: I think that was an animatronic head. That they okay. were like ramming into the cage. They, I don't okay. think they could do that with a real shark. So. Yeah, no,
2: but it's all. Also it looks really shots. convincing, though. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Well, the, so the animatronic was designed to be underwater, but then like as like it, it got into the water, kind of like the same thing. The same thing kind of happened on Jurassic Park for them too, where they had the T Rex and the T Rex animatronic was working really well, and then they did put on the rain effects and the rain like the the like silicone or like whatever it was the skin was covered in absorb yeah. the water making it heavier so it like it would start to like malfunction the same thing kind of happened here where like it, it would work kind of but it malfunctioned a lot um so they they had to be very creative and I think I want to say they just had like a head version of it that could like open and close mm-hmm. but yeah uh crazy crazy for sure
2: yeah yeah, we were trying to we were trying to figure out when it was fake and when it was real shark. Mm-hmm. All last night,
0: I think mostly anything that was like not interact it was shark not interacting with anybody, like just like a shark swimming around without a person around. I think that might have been like real shark footage. Um, okay. And then anytime a human person was in the shot, I'm assuming it probably was not a shark, not a real shark.
2: You know, you know my favorite human person moment in this movie is
0: please tell me
2: <laughs> is that is that guy that's in the boat that gets eaten that he's like in the the little like dewy boat the mm. with, where the kids are in the pond Mm-hmm. you know and yeah and he's like out there and he's like hey kids hey what are you doing over there kids <laughs> it's like it's so clear they gave him no dialogue they were just like hey uh be in this boat and say something. <laughs> say something to these kids. And then the shark comes. But it's just fun. It's,
0: it's, I'm sure that just... is probably what happened. Like I said, like, yeah. considering they were re- yeah. they were writing this movie while they were shooting it. yeah, <laughs> Which is crazy.
2: Hey, what are these kids doing over here?
0: <laughs> it's in the pond! It's in the pond! <laughs> uh, so silly. So silly. But iconic, wonderful, wonderful movie, uh yeah, oh my gosh, uh I'm very excited to talk about this movie, but we gotta talk about what it is first for anybody I mean I don't know what you're doing here if you have not yet uh seen the movie or have ever heard of what it's about, but we're gonna we're gonna be talking about what is this movie, what is the plot of this movie? Seth, you know what time it is
2: i forgot the words it's it's riding with ricky
0: that's
2: the best one so far
0: all right so yes this is Writing with Ricky, uh, where I uh, have written a logline for this film. Uh, and <laughs> Megan and Seth are going to score me on a scale of 1 to 10 based on how good they think this logline is. We're going to put it into my overall scores, and uh, I'm trying to keep it high. So, All right, so here is my logline, my original logline, for Jaws. <clears throat> a quiet New England beach community gets terrorized by a massive man-eating
2: shark. That's 10.
1: Yeah, 10.
0: Yay! Yay, 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 yay. And (laughs) last week's Jeff, you said you said you should never give me a 10.
2: You know, I'm full of shit. Yeah, I know.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I know that. All right. All right. So that's double tens. We averaged that out. That's an average of 10 today. I'm gonna go ahead and add that into my scores. And while I add, here's an ad. Do the ads. Do the ads.
2: Hey, sorry to interrupt your favorite podcast, but I'm here to tell you about Shrimp and Crits, an actual play podcast with a southern twist. My name is Ian, and I am the keeper for this show as we play Monster of the Week by Michael Sands. If you like the sound of swampy monster mayhem, gators gone shopping, and magical fairy mischief, you'll be right at home in the remote panhandle town of Gullicochica, Florida, where spooky danger has begun to wash ashore. Shrimp and Crits is the story of
1: Sarah Payne the Mundane. All I'm asking for... Is answers. That's all I'm looking for is the truth.
2: Ari Green the Searcher. You know the proclamations of the Fae. I suggest you follow them from now on.
1: And Ray Ray, the most mundane
2: monstrous you will ever meet. Mr. Zeus, I'm a I'm a big fan. I, I knew you were I knew you were real. Um. And Ray Ray is just like bowing in front of this swan. As they fumble their way through protecting their skeptical town from mysterious evils, we release new episodes every other Monday on the Podcatcher of Your Choice. Hope to see you soon. Soon in
0: Sunny And we're back from the ads. Uh, so after doing some math, adding that 10 in there, uh, both my overall average and my 2023 average went up. My 2023 average went from a 7.6 to a 7.9. Oh my God. Let me try that again. My 2023 average went from a 7.6 to a 7.9. And my overall went from an 8.11 to an 8.9. Two, So it raised up both pretty significantly. So thank you, Seth and Megan for the tens. I'll take it. I'm a dime. I know. (laughs) So it's time for us to talk about the titular question. It's time to get into the meat, just like a shark would get into the meat of this film and take a bite out of it. So it's my film. I picked this movie. And so I get to ask first. Seth Crowe. I can't hear you, Seth. You're muted, damn it. I
2: said I knew it was going to be me picked first today. Why? I don't know. I just knew. Well,
0: I I am- I was- no, I didn't make it last time. <laughs> Not that it matters. We all get to share. <laughs> Seth Crow. Yes. Jaws. Jaws. What's it about?
2: So this movie, I was trying to, there was something about watching it as an adult that was very different. Um, I actually heard the dialogue, you know, like as a kid, like I remembered like two lines, like we're gonna need a bigger boat and and smile, you son of a bitch, you know, like- <laughs> The like iconic lines. The, yeah, those are the only lines I remember from the movie and everything else was just me being afraid of sharks. Uh, <laughs> so it was interesting to like hear the dialogue and like, actually hit get the like backstory for all these characters and like, because like as a kid I was like, why is why is this science guy on the boat? Like, why is he there? You know, Speaking like, ways, is he R- R-
0: Richard Dreyfus kills
2: it in this movie? Yeah,
0: he's great. Yeah. He's great as that as that character. Like,
2: it, 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 but it never made sense why there were three of them to me. It was mm-hmm. just like it just it just needs to be the the sheriff and Quint. Like, as a kid, mm-hmm. I didn't get it. Um, so. This watch. There was a word that kind of bubbled up in my subconscious as I was as I was always watching it, and I think if I have to come up with a theme gleam for this, which yeah, I gleam do, a because theme. That's that's the that's what we do on this show. Yeah, gleam uh, a theme. Uh, I would say this movie is about lurking responsibility. Oh, okay. So. Uh, another way i would lurking i like the word lurking cuz it evokes the jaws kind of like but it's it's not about it's it's about the responsibility that you should take on the responsibility that you might have to take on and it's the about the responsibility that you avoid so it's like there is this the the shark itself represents the weight of responsibility and the fact that it could strike at any moment, you know? Mm. Um, yeah. Because if you look at all three of the characters, they are in some way either avoiding responsibility or taking on responsibility uh in their life. Like, like the easy one is Brody. You know, he's moved away um, from the city to avoid crime, essentially. Like he's, He's wanting a, an easier life he's wanting mm-hmm. uh, a life where he doesn't have to think about walking down the street and getting shot or something like that you know where and then you have like Quint who takes on the responsibility for all of his dead brethren from the past and his whole life has become killing sharks because he feels responsible in some subconscious way for all the death of his fellow soldiers and then you have Uh, Hooper, who is Hooper, right? Mm -hmm. That's his okay. Hooper is this rich kid who feels like he is supposed to take on more responsibility, because so he like has become this oceanographer. He doesn't have to do anything, right? But because he was raised the way he was, like he was raised wealthy, he feels responsible that it's his job to, you know, be a scientist and and discover uh like study sharks, you know and and yeah, so that 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 bubbled up in me this this responsibility responsibility was the word that hit me as I was watching this movie. So yeah, I, I totally I totally see that
0: it there is a lot of, you know if we want to use like a nautical metaphor on this or a, you know, to use some nautical imagery, it's like a, an anchor that weighs them that weighs them down, right? There's yeah. they have they have baggage, um, which is interesting. Um, and it's it you're right. It's something that's like under the surface. I think this film is very easy to take very superficially. Um, you know, you can enjoy it just as like a, kind of like a horror thriller shark movie, kind of what these types of movies have become, ha- and had become over time is yeah. kind of these B movie. Schlockfests fests of okay we can just go gore heavy gore and and violence and just kind of let the thing be crazy and off the wall bananas uh zany um but this film i think has a lot more to say and it, but it is under the surface and it's not quite as uh uh obtuse as other films are in that way. Brody in particular, I think Brody is very interesting. You're right. It's like, we learn more about Brody and why he's there. Cause they definitely, him and his family don't fit in mm-hmm. to this town at all. And it's they'll very, never be like an they, Islander. Exactly. They'll never be an Islander. And, and even just the way they like exist in that town, everybody else is running at a different, on a different wavelength than them. And, and you see it with like Brody, especially like his like response to danger is so much more heightened where everybody else is like, couldn't possibly be danger here. Couldn't possibly be dangerous. Like you're being ridiculous. And he's like, no, I think there's danger here. And everybody's like, "Mm, I don't think so. Uh,
2: They don't want, they don't want the responsibility of danger.
0: Right. Right. Cause then, yeah. What, but also, and this maybe dips into my theme a little bit, the, the financial burden that this, that, that this film is a little bit about capitalism. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's a lot of it about capital. It's about it's about greed for me, um, and I. But I think within that is like this idea of like to pair with your Seth. When does your responsibility to do the right thing, or like your 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 responsibility to do what do the thing that you need to do? When does that overcome your responsibility to make money? <laughs> you know. And, and, and I get this, I get, I get like, here's the thing as annoying and frustrating as these townspeople and this mayor, like makes me like, makes me viscerally angry watching this movie. Cause like you can make it, you could draw a direct comparison to the way that this mayor behaves in this movie to like the Norfolk train situation that we have going on right now in Ohio and Pennsylvania, right? People cutting corners, people skimping on safety measures to make more money, to increase profits. And, be like, and like, nothing could possibly go wrong. And then a horrible tragedy happens. And even still, they say, no, no, no. Couldn't possibly. Couldn't possibly be what we did. And we see this happen all the time. BP and, you know, with the oil spills. So like, this happens constantly with large corporations. These, These skirting of and and lack of care for people's people's general safety because money and on a small scale which i think this movie i think does really really well as far as like this is a community that depends on this month influx of money during this time and without it a lot of them probably cannot live and so i think you can forgive, I guess, some of like the small business owners and things like that of being like, "I get your concern."
2: It's just and one that, shark.
0: It's just one shark, exactly. And and even then, a lot of them don't even don't even really necessarily think that that's a big deal at all, you know. Um, and so, I, I the mean, greed, I-, I think, over over supersedes for a lot of people the need to care about humans and our responsibility yeah. to each other. You yeah. Know. What about you Megan? What what were you feeling on the kind of at the surface or even a little bit deep bubbling deeper for you in this movie?
1: Um well, before I get into that, I also your point about him ignoring it until it becomes like a, the mayor ignoring it until it mm. becomes like a bigger problem. I think it's interesting that it was his line that his kids were on the beach too. I was like that feels very like until it happens to a lot of the time, the people in charge of stuff, they don't golden rule things. They're not like, you know, they can't put themselves in other people's situation or they can't think it all the way through until it happens to them, mm-hmm. um, which is very frustrating. Um, I agree with the responsibility thing, for sure, and the capitalism thing. I was getting a lot of... This movie reminded me of a home a lot, and I feel like there were some like just a few lines about, you know, belonging there and how you might feel like you belong there and how you build your home and defend your home. And when you really feel like you are rooted somewhere, I think it reminded me of home because it's a beach. Mm. Like it just felt like my hometown Um, with we had less people on the beach than they did, but it all mm-hmm. felt very familiar to me. Um, So I think that was already top of mind. Like I was like already kind of in that headspace, but I think there's something to dissect there about like the shark that the ocean is its home and now this is its feeding ground. So it, that's its home. But then the men of the town, they all have a different kind of maybe Quint feels like the ocean is also his home and he's defending that and the people that he lost there. And then, you know, Brody is trying to find his footing. And at a certain point when he um, takes their son back and she says, or he says, Do you want to take him home? And she says, New York or or home? And he's like, No, here, home. And I feel like that's after he's like shed some blood for this place and like really fought for it. Um, and I think that's interesting because I'm like, Is it your, I mean, it's the shark, the shark's gotcha. Like the shark was there first. So that's.
0: Yeah. I, 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 I'm, 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 I get that. I get I, I, You make a good point, Megan. I think this movie, as opposed to where the Jaws franchise goes later, uh, makes it clear that this shark is just sharking. Like, yeah. He's a shark. Yeah, this shark. They they go out of their way to make sure that we know that this shark is doing generally normal shark behavior up until like, maybe the very end here. But like, mm-hmm. it's plausible that a large shark could make their way up to that region And would become very territorial of that region. Sharks need to eat a lot. You know, like the movie goes out of their way to make sure, like, hey, like this shark is doing normal shark
2: behavior. This could happen to you.
0: Well, you know, like I think about even as like I was growing up, uh, and Seth, you might remember this. There was that moment where there was a shark swimming up the Mississippi River, right? Like everybody's like, you don't remember this? No. When I was when I was a kid, uh, a shark swam from like the delta in new orleans and swam up the mississippi river and made it all the way to st louis before it died because can't live up there but it
2: did bull sharks can swim 50 miles inland
1: i hate that fact you said that to me before i yeah. hate that yeah and i like sharks i'm very you know it's
0: but you know sharks are really really resilient and they do s- yeah, and they do sometimes get to places where they shouldn't. They've discovered sharks in subterranean volcanic like like reservoirs, which is weird. Like surviving where like animals should not be able to survive. Sharks are super duper resilient. I mean, they've been around for hundreds of millions of years. So like they're super resilient. And they're they're the kings of the ocean, you know what I mean? They they they're the apex predators here. Um so I like that this movie up until the very end where the shark like starts like trying to sink the boat and things like that. Like this shark is a little bit smarter than most sharks and, and much larger than probably most sharks would be. And so like, there is like this little bit of like, this is a super shark of some kind, but like they never dwell on the fact like this shark is smarter than other sharks. It's Mm -hmm. just, it's just a large old shark that probably sharks aren't stupid. They learn, you know? And they're naturally curious. And so it's it's a lot of this behavior is plausible. And the movie's like, it's a shark being a shark. And and it kind of like I think Hooper said it best. He's like, there's two ways to get rid of the shark. Kill it or cut off its food supply. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like this is a big shark, it needs a lot of big prey. If there's not a lot of big prey in the water out here, meaning not a whole lot of people to eat, the shark will move on.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: and they just refuse refuse to listen to it yeah they refuse to listen to that and i think to go back to megan's point about home what do you do to defend your home and i think there is a higher there's the hierarchy of needs right for these people the financial windfall that they get from their 4th of July celebration in amity is something that they think is worth protecting For their home, right? They need that money, and that's where almost all their income comes from throughout the whole year. Um, One person says one day of of three weeks
1: is three weeks dramatic.
0: It's three weeks worth of worth of money, which is a lot for a small business. You know, it's it's go ahead, Seth.
2: No, I just there were several moments in this movie that were like hilarious, like when there was like the false alarm about the shark and everybody's like running in back mm-hmm. to the beach, there's like this shot of this woman just holding her baby and just is like,
0: <laughs> that'd
2: be dramatic, man.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Especially after a little boy dies.
2: Right. But I it, it, it just, I don't know. There's, there's a lot, there's a few moments like that in this movie that are just like, very crafted i don't know that's neither here nor there uh
1: i i am getting like cassandra vibes at some points from the um from brody and from is hooper the oh
2: she's so forgettable
1: he's (laughs) not i really quick also want to say i think i need to unpack with my therapist, the fact that I was in love with Quint, I was like, "This is the man of my dreams." <laughs> what?
2: <laughs> you an like old, old sea I'm dog, gonna,
1: yeah. uh, He's
2: broken.
1: He's. Oh I know that's why. Megan, <laughs> right.
2: he makes me so mad in this movie. Why? Because <gasps> I don't understand his logic at the end. Like I, I, I don't get what he's doing when he destroys the telecom, and then he like. <laughs> He just decides to to run the the engine into the ground, you know. Like, you know what it is
0: for me, and this is this is a sub theme that that I I found in this movie, and it comes all, really almost more in the second half of this movie, is a sub theme of of scars. Scars. Mm. There's that whole thing where they're comparing scars, and Brody doesn't get into this conversation, but you do see a moment where he wants to share something. Yeah, and you can assume that's his time in New York as a cop in New York. It's not. No, and he, we looked it up. Ah, oh, it's some of those cut from the movie. It looks like he had a scar. Did he get attacked by a shark, and that's why he hates it's, the water?
2: No. So it's an appendix scar. Ah. And it's like he doesn't. Th- it, he doesn't think it's, it's manly not cool enough.
0: enough. Yeah. To
1: share. Oh, that's very interesting.
2: That's fair. Huh.
0: That's cool though. But still, like there isn't. A, oh, then that even is more like I, up to the theme of like tra- trauma comparison, right? Comparing yeah. comparing suffering. That's what we're doing. That's
2: what we do on this podcast. It's just me and Ricky going. Uh. <laughs> Look, Look, at this. This Look at this. Look at this emotional scar. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
2: it's true. I mean,
0: honestly, and that's what they do. That's what they do. And there is, I think, to, to your point, Seth, for me, Brody, not Brody, sorry, uh, Quint has an emotional scar, along with his his actual scars, but he has an emotional scar of what these sharks did to him and the and he, like you said, he structured his life to be a shark killer now. That's his life. He's, I'm a shark killer. That's all I've dedicated my life to killing sharks. And so – you know, and we see him and Hooper go back and forth. There's a pride thing. Quint does not want to admit he's ever wrong and that he's not the epitome of, of shark domination, right? I think it's a pride thing. I think he destroys the telecom because he doesn't want anybody, any Coast Guard or anybody coming out to to, to kill the shark for them. That,
2: that makes more sense. Like I can see the glory thing, mm-hmm. you know? Like, okay, he wants all the glory. But the running the engine into the ground doesn't well, make no, sense.
0: So so this is what I think. I think he think I think his pride extends to his boat. As in <laughs> his boat is his extension the orca it which is a killer whale. Right? Yeah. It's a killer. The orca. And even in actual nature, orcas do kill sharks frequently. Yeah. After orcas pick on sharks a lot, actually. Orcas orcas legitimately are the number one meanest animal in in the ocean.
1: They're so scary.
0: They're really mean. That's like proven. They're nasty, nasty things. Um, but anyway, uh so it's you know, his boat is an orca, it's a killer. It's an extension of him, and he believes that his boat is as stubborn as he is. That it won't. It, it, he pushes it because he thinks he can take it and it's not gonna break. It's a pride thing. And it, it leads to his death.
1: I read it. I thought he knew. Like he was just like I think he figured this was the logical conclusion of this mission of his like you oh, know, mythological yeah. character arc. Like I think he just knew. He was like, All right, this is I'm gonna die fighting this shark as some sort of like penance for That's more the believable. I I yeah, I think he was just blinded by that, and he was like, "This is my story. This is how I pay for this, and I'm going out with this shark because it's the only way I can." I just think he was like resigned to it, and he was so blinded by that he was willing to take everyone else down too. This is how I die because I
2: should have died with my mates. like go-
1: yeah. He's like going into battle. Yeah,
0: that's interesting. That's not how I read it at all. Because like when he when the shark jumps on the boat and starts to like submerge it and he's like slides down, it legitimately seems like he does not want to die. <laughs> mm. You know, he seems very scared and not yeah. happy about
2: it. Well, I think,
0: well, that's, I, think. I guess the thing is like planning your death and then yeah. going through with it. I mean, you know, not to be morbid or dark, but like how many people attempt suicide, but like veer off right at the end when it's time yeah. to do the thing, because it's scary. Um, that's fair. So I, that's just not how I personally felt. Cause for me, Quint, Embodies this scar, the scar of his humanity. He is so he has become a monster in a yeah, way, I... and so I think there is a thing of like I am a monster who kills monsters, right? Yeah, and
2: and we're gonna we're gonna definitely dive into that,
0: and yeah, and I because for me, you know, uh, Hooper keeps telling him like it's gonna you're gonna you're gonna break the engine, you're gonna break the engine, and he just i don't know the way he pushes forward it almost seems and when it dies he's just like yeah you know he damn like he doesn't seem like yes it died kind of thing it's more of like a dang it um you know i thought this thing was capable of more almost like i thought i was capable of more because he every step of the way throughout this shark hunt He's proven he's proven wrong by this shark, right? There's no way the shark can can stay down with three barrels. There's no way the shark can stay down with two barrels. There's no way the shark can do this. There's no, and the shark keeps proving him wrong, mm-hmm. time after time. And so I think there's I think his pride's hurt, and so I think it pushes him to make mistakes. I mean, how often has that happened to to your you, you know? To, I mean, I'll say this as myself. Seth knows this. I'm a pretty stubborn person, and it's sometimes it's really, really, really hard for me to admit I'm wrong. Even, not about big stuff necessarily. When it's small stuff, for some reason, big stuff I ca- I don't have as much of a problem of like admitting that I might be wrong about something or I might be looking at something. If I'm a, perspective that maybe is flawed but when it comes to small detail inconsequential details of things i will dig my heels in i will i will almost never admit that i that i did some that i did or said something that was incorrect because there's a pride thing i have a lot of pride in my intelligence uh and so it's really hard for me to admit when i'm misinformed
2: yeah I, i disagree with you on the big things I'm just trying to. I'm just trying to fuck with you, see if you get upset. Uh, nope. <laughs> <laughs> On this podcast, shields down, buddy. Shields down. <laughs> no, you're right. Uh, I have seen that in action. Um, mm. I. So wait, what's your question? When? When have you been your pride? When has your well, pride? I,
0: well, I, this just you know, you guys just have a different interpretation. I'm, it's not really a question. Just kind of like. Bringing it out there and being like – for me, that's what I saw. I saw somebody who considered themselves an expert, and it happens to Hooper too because Quint keeps challenging Hooper and Hooper is getting upset because his intelligence is being challenged. And so I just think there's a lot of like – there's a lot of pride on that boat. And the, thing, the reason why I think Brody is able to succeed is because Brody doesn't have that – Brody is vulnerable. Brody is very vulnerable. He shows himself to be very vulnerable throughout this movie a lot. Mm -hmm. Uh, He shows himself to be scared. He shows himself to be easily manipulated. Um, And someone who who, this like bravado of like being like this big time shark expert is like, he's like, I don't give a fuck. I just want to live and get this thing out of here, you know? what and i don't care how that happens whoever kills it somebody to kill it please
2: yeah brody's brody's us you know he's mm-hmm. he's us
0: yeah.
2: i am I'm, I'm thinking about like honestly my brain is trying to bridge princess mononoke to this in a weird way i like like i was just thinking well there's about,
0: there's some capitalism in there too industrialism and capitalism
2: well i was just thinking about the shark itself kind of representing um. The shark itself nature? represent nature, and then like you have uh, Hooper, who is like uh, the science, like kind of like the uh, the the lady Lady Hiboshi mm-hmm. character, and then you have I would guess like Quint uh, uh, is like the monk, and then you have like uh, Ashitaka being Brody. Brody. You know, mm-hmm. just like the same mm-hmm. dynamic. But uh, really quick before, so I, I got to. I I wanted to. I, I wanted to dive into the monster yeah. killing monster thing. But I'm I got to hear. Into. I got to hear from Megan's. Why? Wh- what is it about Quint? Why? 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 Yeah, I gotta
0: know.
1: <laughs> I, I don't get, know. I got like. I got to know. Boat. Boats help. Boats are like fifty percent of the equation. I'm so buying a boat. Vote. What about he's, he's, you know, world weary. I find that very charming. Um, he says his, <laughs> his like nonsensical, like sea shanties. I loved the I don't know. He was just a character. I thought he was fun. <laughs> and I liked that. He's very, clearly, <laughs> I don't want to unpack this too much. He's very clearly damaged. And um, that's, you know, tale as old as time. I just, I uh, was like, yeah, that's the man for me. So
2: beauty and the beast.
1: He's,
2: he's not, he's not like other girls. He's,
1: (laughs) he takes himself less seriously than the beast does. You know, he's got like a, just a little, just a little weird. I love that.
2: Hmm. Hmm. Okay. I'm I'm satisfied. I'm satisfied.
1: (laughs) I'm trying to think of like, if I can pin it down, I think it was really just like, if I met that man in real life, I would be fascinated by him. And he has a boat. And really, those are the two. Those are my like, if you're like a really strange and you have a boat. <laughs> okay. That's dangerous for me. I will probably <laughs> end up on a Dateline episode. I would well, go he's mad. No Gregory, he's no Gregory Peck.
2: I would definitely go mad if I owned a boat. Yeah? Yeah. I, like, like Ahab style? Like water. I don't know. Like water time is different than regular time. I don't know if you've uh, ever experienced that. But like, when you're on a yeah. boat, it time moves way slow. I don't know why. I, I don't know why, but it does. And so I think I would lose it. I would, I would lose it. I would just I would I would be, I would start talking like that, you know, just mumb- great. mumbling under my breath. Just like random things.
1: I like that he lives by his own his own he's in his own reality. Yeah. He's operating under his own his own boat rules yeah
2: yeah. Uh, so so I, to try to personalize some of this, um, so the, because this was the first horror movie I ever saw, uh, I've thought a lot about sharks in a shadow self realm. So, uh, the monster in me is like represented by a shark. Um, jokingly as a kid, I would go to the beach and I, I've always had like, so, so I I went to this church camp. I was like 12 or 13 and I've always been able to make friends with girls. And so, there was like, I wasn't, they weren't attracted to me. I need to preface that. Uh, I was like, nerdy. But the girls liked to be around me because I, I was funny, I guess. they thought I was funny. You're funny. Um, uh, but I did this thing at the beach this one year at church camp, where I would, I was 1213. And I would go underwater. And the group of girls I was hanging out with, I would go under and I would grab their ankles. Like,
0: God. <laughs> look, at, look at Megan's face she's like fuck you she goes fuck <laughs> you
2: <laughs> and you know as an adult I'm like that's kind of messed up but I got I got uh I got the nickname shark at the beach because I would do this trick you know and so I have this like this like impression of of my, my evil side as this shark, right? Like this, the bad version of me is this, this, this Jaws character. Uh, so I have a connection, a deep connection to like fear of myself connected to sharks. Right. So
0: You've upset Megan to her core.
1: Oh, I just, I, well, because like I said, I grew up on the beach. So that was like a thing people did and I <sighs> hated it. Um I think that I I think that's really um do you think that played into you needing to like really dive deep into the shark knowledge? Like do you think part of that was like to better understand this thing you're afraid of is to better understand like yourself?
2: Maybe. I mean I don't I don't I, I don't think I made those connections the self connections until later. Okay. You know, like the self connections are like I mean to be like frank like the my fear of my own sexuality you know like fear of my own desires and like how those can drive you to become this like i'm i'm afraid of becoming this eating machine right like like this i don't i don't i'm like i'm terrified of being a predator something like we've kind of talked about a little bit of this in the past, but like being a predator scares the shit out of me. Like it's like the last thing I want to be. But there is this shark, you know. Like there is this shark that lurks under the water that is like you don't you don't know it's there, but you might see a fin come up, you know. And, uh, and
0: just to to clarify, for for predator in the in the word in the term, as in like. Hunter, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah.
2: No, I, I don't. This, this,
0: see that, that that word just has a connotation, and I just wanted to yeah. clear the waters on on that.
2: Well, no, I, I don't think you should actually. I I don't think you should. Okay. Um, I don't. I I will reinforce what I'm saying. Like, mm. I don't want to be a predator, right? Mm. But there is. There is like, I think, lurking with all people this instinctual animalistic drive, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's like I'm terrified of that. I'm terrified of of like I've said this to my therapist a million times. I'm not. I'm not. What I'm afraid of is myself. I'm afraid of me, and that's the thing I'm most afraid of. It's like I'm afraid of losing control and becoming a monster, you know, like that's my biggest fear. Um, and so like the shark represents that to me, you know, it just be it's like all instinct. Eating machine and. Yeah, so so, yeah, I'm terrified of be- I don't I don't I don't think I am a predator, I need to say that, but I would be I am terrified of becoming that like that is something that I, I don't think I ever will, you know, but I'm just saying it, it annoys me that you can't say that. It annoys me that you can't mm. talk about it because it's true. And like to avoid this, like it's like avoiding the Babadook, you mm. know, like you, you need to look the monster in the face. Mm.
1: There's a lot to, there's a lot to address mm. out there. <laughs> I think, well, Mm -mm. (laughs) are you the idea that like that dark side of yourself would be predatory is interesting. So I think we all have a shadow self but I'm not sure I would phrase my like shadow self or like the bad parts of myself as predatory Um, just because You're still, you're still like a person who exists in humanity with connection. Like that's the thing that, that defeats the shadow self is this like team of people who are, you know, communicating with each other and empathizing with each other. And I think to frame it that way might be giving it more power, um, like worrying that it, it will completely overtake you in all of that context and that empathy and that humanness would- be irrelevant. Um, That's just the first thing that came to mind. Um, And the control thing, if I can move on to another point, I, when you said lose control of it, I think in order to live with those parts of ourselves, it's not about control. It's about like holding space for them and understanding them. And I don't know, bearing witness to them without letting them be like the prominent, you know what I mean? Um, so control is an interesting. I'm not sure that I, I agree with that phrasing.
2: You're saying you have to recognize it, but you can't control it or you shouldn't try to control it because. Well, I
1: think by recognizing it, you give it like the, the Babadook thing you're, you're looking, you're like looking it in the face. Um and acknowledging it and not trying to suppress those darker parts of yourself. or so whatever you're, and that's much easier said than done. But I think by doing that, you take away that, that fear and that predatory, th- that thing you're afraid of goes away. Cause it's not like something that you're controlling. It's just something that you're like, like I said, witnessing and then, acknowledging it as part of your wholeness and not being afraid of it. You know what I mean?
2: I, in theory, I know what you mean.
1: I'm thinking of, have you read the book, the myth of the wild woman? Mm
2: -hmm.
1: So, and I wonder about the difference between how women or people who identify as women or more feminine, like view this versus men traditionally. um, Because that book she touches on, the wild woman part of yourself, you have to be able to, like, look into the darkness in order to f- fully be authentic and also not be afraid of yourself and the world forever. Um, and that's really scary and really hard. But that's how you... I don't know. I think, I think trying to control it is is where it like starts to push back. You know,
2: I, I like try down I, is like, I, I will agree. I will agree with that. You um, know? Oh, I
0: agree with that wholeheartedly. I mean, we've, we've talked about it before on the show for me, that's the, that's, that's like one of my biggest things I'm, I need to work through as a human being is, and, you know, talking about like shout self, Seth, Seth really likes to analyze stuff through this way. And something he's talked to me about is like, you know, we've talked about I was attacked by a dog when I was five. And so kind of a formation, and in, in this is Seth's theory, it, it, the formation of my shadow self is kind of a a rabid dog in that I'm afraid of lashing out unexpectedly. Mm-hmm. And the fear of like putting that dog on a leash and controlling it and not letting it out ever. Is like the thing that scares me the most about me. Well, right. Most of the time, I go through my life and I feel perfectly content and fine and able to handle and process things. But sometimes, and that's the thing about a, a, a dangerous dog, was like so you just don't know when it may lash out.
2: The I need to say why I said that. Hmm. Sure. Uh, you can.
0: You can talk about it. Well, I just.
2: Maybe. No, it, it like you, when we did the clown stuff, mm-hmm. you drew yourself, your face, your clown face as a dog. Mm-hmm. And so I thought that was really interesting because usually when you create your clown self, it is a reflection of something inside you, you don't let out. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I made that leap. Uh, I mean, I know your your history as mm-hmm. well, but it was very like interesting that that's the face you drew.
0: Mm -hmm. So, so I, I think to bring it back to jaws for a second, like there is, there is an allusion to things lurking underneath, right? Things under the surface. And for some people like (laughs) Quint, it's their trauma, Quint and Brody, it's their trauma. For some other people, it's their greed. For some other people, it's their privilege. For some other people, it's regret. Something that was really interesting here, and and to to Megan's point, like our humanity is what keeps is is what keeps those things at bay, our shadow selves, right? And but not always. Yeah, but not always. Those things sometimes do sneak out, and I think. This movie, at this one point, uh, we have the first attack on the, on the young woman in the very beginning, and Brody immediately hears the, cor- the you know the medical examiner say shark. He puts that on the 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 report, right? And he immediately is ready to take action, and then he is convinced otherwise. You know, he's kind of strong armed by this by this mayor, right? And I think it's. Because he does not feel like he belongs in this community yet, they are able to leverage the fact that, like, you're not from here and, like, you don't know how we, you know, how this all functions and, and like, you wouldn't want to, like, come into our community and, like, ruin everything for us, would you? Mm-hmm. Over something that you're not even sure of. That is a problem. Right? Uh, and so he's able to be manipulated. And then the young boy gets killed and the mom comes up and she slaps Brody, right? And there's and that is what drives him for like the rest of the movie is this re- regret and this shame for not doing what he knew was right to begin with. Um and you see it if it affects him and and his his fear and his his like need to like fit into this community made him forget his humanity for a moment and like the safety of others. And then it's that reminder of that regret and the pain that he caused. That is what motivates him throughout the rest of the movie. So I think to go back to kind of what Megan and Seth, you guys are talking about is we have these darker, more not great sides of ourselves, our shadow selves. They have lots of different shapes and sometimes they, they act on our behalf. But it's the retrospective looking at them and not hiding them that allows us to then keep our humanity and then maybe hopefully f- amend whatever mistakes we might make.
2: Well, I think it's a, a very delicate – I still think it's delicate because it wasn't – like if we're going to use Brody as an example, it wasn't Brody's fault that the shark ate the boy really. No. No. You know, so, and then he chose to take on the responsibility of that, right? Which, in turn, puts his own life in danger. And so it's like, Mm -hmm. so, so, so like, what I'm saying is, is like, when that shadow self presents itself, you can overdo it, you can overcompensate on the self punishment for allowing that shadow self to manifest. So so it's a it's it's complex it's like how do you allow space like megan's saying but not judge but don't let it be destructive either well
0: kind of like what happens to quint right so quint becomes destructive because of his
2: shadow self you
0: know his trauma his scars he he turns himself into into an embodiment of his shadow self and and honestly, takes away a lot of his own humanity. He it's it. We see some of it sneak out while they're on the boat, and they're they're spending time just like talking to each other. We see that humanity slip out again, but he right away he ha- he puts it away, and is back mm-hmm. to shark killer, shark killer. I am a shark killer.
1: The responsibility conversation reminds me a lot of this idea that I think that taking on that responsibility lets him feel like he has some sort of control over the situation because otherwise it's just like a horrible thing that's happened. It makes no sense. Like nature is just, you know, destroying lives and it's, there's no sense to it. There's no, this shark doesn't have a motivation. The shark doesn't have a vendetta. And so I think by taking on responsibility, Brody is, I do this all the time. When something happens and I it's it doesn't make sense to me, I assume all well, I used to. All culpability for it because then if I if I created the problem, then I can fix it. Mm-hmm. And I think that is a little bit of where he's coming from. Um yeah, that's that's like a very um big thing in my life. I used to do that all the time, just constantly um take on responsibility so that I could have the idea that I could solve the problem. Mm
0: -hmm. How did you start to, to move away from that? What like work have you done to like help yourself with that kind of motivation?
1: Um, I think when I realized it was, um, wearing on my sense of self and my, my respect for myself, like once you tell yourself things are your fault over and over and over again, you just start to get this like very skewed and kind of sad self image. And I wasn't standing up for myself when I should have been. And it just, there came a point where I was like, well, I can't do this anymore because I, it, there was another voice in my head that was like, this isn't, not everything is you realizing that just I'm living in the world and interacting with other people for long enough.
0: Mm.
1: It, it like at that point, it's just a form of delusion Um, again, to probably try to gain control and also i don't like assuming that anybody had any ill intent and i didn't like the idea of like assuming that anyone else in the world was i I don't know it just was like well i don't want to think that the world is screwing everything up so i'd rather think that it's me um and also the control thing and then again at a point you just reach like this like breaking point where it's like well this this attitude isn't working and it's also not fixing anything Mm -hmm. um yeah, I'm not sure how that part applies to
0: Brody. So, so, well, no, I think you, you make a good point, is that Brody, like, it's tough because, like, a culpability is such an interesting concept in general of, like, who who's culpable for what? And, it, like, is there a degree of, like, of blame to be put on here? Like, of course, it's not Brody's fault. It's nobody's fault that the shark is here. The shark made its way here all on its own. Before anybody even knew it was there, it it took a life, you know, Mm -hmm. and nobody even knew that it was there. It's not, it's nobody's fault on the first, on the first attack. However, there is some culpability here once, you know, it's, it's determined it's a shark, you know, the medical examiner said definitively shark attack, clearly, you Mm -hmm. know, and, and then you know the mayor gets involved and greed and capitalism and all that stuff kind of makes its way in and they get to the medical examiner and the medical examiner recants and even though brody i think brody still thinks that that there's a shark out there you know yeah. even you know you know we see it when he's at the beach and he's he's watching the water and he's constantly he's on high alert cuz he Thinks that there's still danger, and so as the chief of police, it, d- he was convinced and kind of strong-armed to not do, to not do anything. And like, there's an argument to be made that like he actually doesn't have any power because of the way the the town is set up uh, bureaucratically. He needs approval. He needs all this stuff in order to do any of that stuff. So he just doesn't. He literally doesn't have the power, but he also doesn't put up much of a fight either. So I I get what you're saying of like, it's not really Brody's fault. It's indirectly Brody. Brody does bear a little bit of responsibility here. Well, then it's also the mayor's fault. Well, I think more culpability hangs on the mayor and the medical examiner for sure. Yeah. Because if the mayor didn't lean on the medical examiner, maybe the medical examiner would have also helped Brody through all these steps of this this bureaucratic process and given him some legitimacy with his claims, right? And then, yeah. but once you lose the medical examiner, being like, no, it was a boat. Um, but, yeah. It's tough after that.
1: It is. Also, it's hard when the two, if those two people, right. it seems like, would bear the brunt of the guilt. But if they refuse to take yeah. on that guilt, if they're just like, nope, don't mm-hmm. think it's my fault. I think a person like Brody mm-hmm. would take on that guilt just again to make sense of things, right? Just to be like, well, somebody has to bear the weight of this right and that's not necessarily a great quality trait or characteristic but it's i think that's very human it is that
0: too i think that <laughs> i think that it's also like yeah i think playing with monsters a little bit in this movie like this movie plays with this idea of who's a monster what's a monster and mm-hmm. brody is not the not the monster ever brody is the is human he is quintessentially yeah. human he he his reactions to things he's he, he's scared he's vulnerable he's he's amenable he's fallible he overreacts he he's overly emotional sometimes but he's not a monster he's not cold not like the mayor you know not like quint to a certain point he 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 takes the responsibility. You're right, because no one else wants to.
1: Yeah. And his
0: humanity, it just it it well it doesn't allow him to like not to, like, it's tough. Like, because you're right, it's not really his fault, and he shouldn't be taking it so personal, because it's not really his fault. But you're someone. Someone has to have a human reaction to this. Yeah. Like, if he also was like, no, it's not my fault, then this movie is a movie of horrible people. Right. You know what I mean? And so it may not be the healthiest way to respond to things, but at least it makes him human.
1: And that leads to a resolution to the – like, somebody has to Mm -hmm. have the impetus to solve the problem.
2: Mm -hmm. I think he is a control freak. Brody? Yeah. Like, the fact that he's, like, on the beach, like – like in that that scene uh, before, you know, things get super serious. Like <clears throat> that, he's going to do something to stop this shark, mm-hmm. you know, and and like the fact that he's like the fact that he takes on the, all of this responsibility is evidence to me that he is a control freak. Like that, he well, he's
0: a that he's a police chief in general me, would would suggest yeah.
2: that. Well, that's probably he's, why he left. That's I mean, that's why he left. New York is because he felt like he had one man can make a difference in this town.
1: Mm -hmm. You
2: know, he can't do anything in New York because he's just one person, but in this town he can control the crime. He can, Mm -hmm. you know, like he's, he's so, so concerned about not allowing them the monster in. Right. Like, he to him he thought the monster was crime but you can't control you can't control the threat right so like jaws was a, an unforeseen threat he doesn't even go in the water you know what i mean it was it's an unforeseen threat to him that's that true he doesn't this... swim
0: he doesn't like the water
2: yeah. yeah he's completely avoidant of all problems he's tried to isolate himself on an island so he cannot be penetrated by evil Mm -hmm. but the evil is there and Mm -hmm. i mean i think that's a great like now that we've said this it's like that's great like i think that's fucking cool as shit like as a representation for the shadow self right because you don't know where it's going to come from and it's like how so how do you face it you know you smile at it i guess like show me your smile you son of a bitch you know like like how do how like you you can't know like that's the whole thing about the shadow right you can't ever yeah yeah so it's like it's always I, behind I, so... you <laughs> or under you or underneath you <laughs> well just to like just to kind of like put this into a zip drive of something uh uh of 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 theme and idea and like what we've been talking about like I hear what Megan is saying about the shadow self and creating space for it and not judging it and, and allowing it to be um, like not giving it power, but at the same time, like that's not that. How do you do that? Like, how do you, because it could be a fucking giant shark that eats you whole, you know, like, like, I th- okay. So I think, uh, a, the human representation of this is like serial killers, right? Like, like I'll, if you asked a seven year old child, what do you want to be when you grow up? They would never say Jeffrey Dahmer, you know, but like that monster was created where is the responsibility and the culpability of that monster being created?
1: Those are, but then those are his actions. Like, sorry, I do. Sorry. I had like a very (laughs) aggressive reaction. I totally get what you're saying. And that fear. I do understand that. Um, I do think that that might be giving it. It's the Voldemort thing, right? If you like never look at it or like think about it, then. Never say its name. Yeah. Then it's um, more powerful that way. But um, fear of the name is fear of the thing itself. But um, the serial killer comparison is hard for me to kind of um, go along with just because at that point, I think then the culpability, it's interesting to unpack where it may have started or what, um, what in his or their background would lead to it, whose fault is it. But at that point, it's the person who did it. Like it's the person who committed the crime, you know, and it's. There's a difference between acting on every impulse and and having, you know, darker shadow self thoughts. Like, you know what I mean? There's you I, don't exist in a vacuum and you can control your actions and you know? I
2: I, I agree with you in a logical like if you're if you if your brain breaks yeah that's terrifying you're, you're, you're fucked you know yeah
1: and that's yeah
0: that's what i was going to say i was like the idea of like who's to blame for that monster i don't think is always fair because some sometimes people you know with like sociopathy and things like that are still being studied yeah. but like there's not always a reason for it you know, sometimes it's just the way your your brain works. And yeah. So whose
2: fault is that, right? Like, well, it's the. But then we're looking it's, for control it's your again. man, God. Yeah. <laughs> we're well,
1: looking for, you're looking for control again to try to like, and sometimes it's just horrible nonsense.
2: Yes, mm-hmm. uh, I don't, I don't disagree. I'm just saying, like, my my whole point is that there are monsters. Right. And there's yeah. monsters within us. And to, to, I get annoyed at, like, I agree. Like, here's the thing. Uh, I, I don't think I am, I am, I'm, I'm, I gotta say this correctly. Uh, <laughs> there's no fear in me, really. I, the, there's nothing, I, I'm not, a, I'm not i I'm not a violent person. Okay. That's not something that I, I struggle with. By any means, okay. Uh, violence is is I I can't do it. It's just not in me. But I uh, so that being said, I get annoyed at the idea that you're not capable of becoming a monster. Like if you if you have this if you have this notion in you that you're you're above uh, corruptibility or that you, the circumstances wouldn't put you in a situation that could cause you to do something that you never thought you would do. I think that's just wrong personally. Uh, And, and so like, for me, I have to have a healthy respect for, Hey, like you don't know, like you truly don't know what you're capable of and, and you can do your very best. And I think like things like therapy and uh, this podcast and like, like talking about this stuff is how you, have a better wrangle on those things but it's not it 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 annoys me that you can't talk about that stuff that you're not supposed to, that that me talking about this right now makes me sound like a predator or a serial killer or something like that and that's not that's i think that's wrong i think that's i think i should be able to to acknowledge the fear in myself without coming off as a threat, you know? Yeah.
1: No, I agree. That's a very human thing to be afraid of ourselves and Mm of each other. And I completely agree. I've had, I'm a big like true crime junkie. And I think those stories that are like, like you said, Ricky, some, or I think Seth, somebody said like, sometimes your brain breaks and that's like huge fear. Like I'm terrified of that. And there, there's, there's no reason behind that. And I think we should be able to talk about that fear a little bit more Um, because maybe then there are tools that can be put in place like mental health stuff and and research and and all of that other stuff. I think the fact that we don't talk about it is not helping. And that goes back to the, it all goes back to Voldemort Mm -hmm. every time.
0: Yeah. I, 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 I agree with you, Seth, that like, people don't want to admit that we are susceptible to situations right scenarios like because nothing is forcing us to behave in a particular way it's hard for us to imagine ourselves doing something deplorable you know or even or even you know like think about like the i don't know his name but the guy from 127 hours Like, imagine your arm is trapped under a rock. Could you saw off your own arm to save your life?
1: Right.
0: Some people think they would. Some people think they wouldn't. But the truth of it is, you don't know whether you could or could not until you're in it. Mm. Like, that's the only truth of the situation is you don't know. And that's scary. You do not know what you're capable of. That's the scariest part about being a person. What sequence of events and scenarios could set you to what's an under action? The water. Exactly. What is under
2: under the water? What? Yeah. You, there's parts of you you can't see, and and you can all you can do is try to imagine what's mm-hmm. down there. You know, like and. I don't know. I, I really like this metaphor now. I'm, it's like, I'm nerding.
0: I, <laughs> I, I mean, I I've experienced this. So again, I'm, I mean, Seth, you, you would know, I'm also not a violent person. I, not at all. Uh, I mean, I tend to be vi- almost more nurturing in my nature. Um, however, there are times in my life where, you know, again, there's that fear of like this, like dog that can snap at you at any time. Uh, You know, especially when I was younger, where I remember some times where I was pushed, you know, the bear was poked a little bit too much, and I would snap. And I have unleashed on – this is when I was young, 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 like seventh or eighth grade type of thing. You know, seventh or eighth grade is getting in fights. It's like, I
2: don't know. Pretty normal.
0: Yeah. At least – for people who get bullied a lot, it's pretty normal to get in some fights. So I was at a friend's house. So she was having a party. Um, and I was getting picked on, as I usually was. And at one point, I don't remember what this person did. But this was like a person, I again, people I considered friends, quote unquote friends. Um, I don't can't remember what set me off, but he, he did something. And I like something in my, like you said, something in my brain broke. And I snapped on him. And I just went in and I think it surprised him because he didn't even have time to like fight back. Cause I just snapped so quickly. And right after the fight, I went like into a different room and I just cried. Cause I felt so bad for what I had done. Even though like I was pushed to an extent that I just, my, my brain could not handle after immediate after fact, kind of like, kind of like Brody, there was an immediate like shame and regret for like the, the lack of control that I had in that moment and like the pain that I potentially had caused and it's scary. Like that's honestly something that I run, a- I, I run away from to this day. Cause I don't know and built and I built up walls to maybe be like, okay, maybe it takes a lot more to get, to get there now.
1: Yeah. I, I think that it's, like I said, super, it's very human to recognize that part we're afraid of. And to acknowledge that we don't always have control and that's very scary, but also to pay attention to that part that, that felt that shame after and knew that you would hurt someone else. And Mm -hmm. you have that part of yourself too. And you have to weigh both. I mean, ideally the, I mean, this might be idealistic. I like to weigh the better stuff heavier, Mm -hmm. um, but at least acknowledging both, I think that's what sets if we're going back to like the you know, people who do like really horrible things, that's like a mix of nature and nurture and chemicals and, and you know, life experiences. But I think at least a part of it is that you, we ideally, if we lose control at one point and, you know, get in a fight, say something mean, we take that experience and that feeling we got after and we don't do that thing later or mm-hmm. it takes more to get there. Because we remember how terrible it felt to make somebody else feel terrible.
0: Mm. Yeah. Interesting conversation, Jaws has gotten us to. Mm. What lurks beneath the surface? What looks beneath the surface for all of you at home? Why don't you share with us at some point?
2: Everyone wants to be a dentist.
0: No, (laughs) I do not want to be a dentist yeah what do you mean what do you mean by that jaws (laughs) that's that's it that's all that was the that was the connection jaws all right (laughs) i think at that point i think we're done here (laughs) (laughs) thank you we've 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 circled all the way back to to stupidity let's let's, (laughs) <laughs> Just kidding, Seth. Uh Thank you guys so much for talking about Jonathan, e, and thank you everybody at home for listening. We really, always really appreciate it. Um, it is time to talk about what's next, and it is Megan's turn to pick what's next. Megan, do you want to tell the the folks at home what we're going to be watching together? Sure. We will be watching
2: Moonstruck. Moonstruck, nineteen eighty seven. Moonstruck. So I know I know nothing about this. Good.
1: An all-time great.
0: Yes, all-time great. Uh, So if you're going to watch Moonstruck along with us, you can uh, check it out. If you have a subscription to Paramount Plus, Showtime, Hulu, FUBU TV, Sling TV, the Roku Channel, Amazon Prime, and YouTube. So you can watch it if you have a subscription to any of those services. Or you can pay to rent it on Google Play Movies and TV, Apple TV, Redbox, and Vudu. So that's where you can watch Moonstruck along with us uh,
2: if you so choose.
0: Seth, tell everybody where they can find you.
2: Yeah, you can find me at Seth Rowe Crow on Instagram. I'm sorry, no, I'm just, I need to start over. Um, <laughs> that's not where you can find me on Instagram. You can find me at <laughs> Seth Adam Crow on Instagram. That's Crow with an E though, so S E T H A D A M C R O W E. You can also find me at the Birdie Word on Twitter. That's T H E B I R D Y W O R D. And you can also find me at my website, SethCrow.com uh and megan
1: yeah you can find me on instagram megan underscore jane 61 m-e-a-g-h-a-n
0: all right and i am ricardo Boy diaz you can find me at ricardo blade diaz Uh, on Instagram and TikTok. And you can find this show, the What's It About Film Podcast, on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. On Twitter, you can find us at What. on Instagram at What's About Podcast, and on TikTok at What's It About Pod. We post new episodes every Friday morning. That's where you can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Uh, Again, uh, hop on those social medias, share with us what what your thoughts are, and uh, let us know if there's movies out there that you would love to hear us talk about. Because, honestly, we want to... We want to engage with you. We want you guys to feel like you're part of the show and that you have some uh, some ability to control what you want to hear. So please let us know. All right, Megan and Seth, thank you so much. And once again, thank you to you all out there. And we will see you next week. Bye.
2: Adios.
1: Bye.